Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome in for another episode of Vault Club Confidential. I'm your host, Austin Price of VaultQuest.com. Coming up tonight on the show, we've got Tennessee head basketball coach Rick Barnes. It's an exciting episode. Can't wait to deep dive on Coach Barnes and his career. Over 700 wins, closing in on 800 for his illustrious career. But before we do that, we'll bring in Hunter Badur of the Vault Club. And Hunter, uh, back in December, back before Christmas, we had the uh, the holiday with hoops, uh, you know, event and, and a great turnout here at Spire, at, yeah. at, at the Volunteer Club. Absolutely. And, and uh, first of all, congratulations to you, Austin, for making it through another portal season. Yeah, uh, it's I know, uh, not a. A lot of sleepless nights. There's and you do less a great hair job. up here, and there's more gray in here. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we had uh, our kickoff basketball event. Um, had about 200 people uh, that came. Um, Dalton Connect, Jordan Ganey, uh, Josiah Jordan James um, were all in attendance. Uh, Coach Barnes as well, um, and tremendous turnout. And I think um, people who, who brought their kids really had a worthwhile time. When you look at uh, basketball season, now that we're into the month of January, getting into February, there's going to be basketball tailgates, yep. which is exciting. We, we had a, a great showing for our final football tailgate uh, in, in Orlando. Um, I, I thought, you know, this fall our events team did a tremendous job uh, with our tailgates throughout the season, but um, capped it off with, with a great tailgate in Orlando. And yes, now we're switching gears and we're going to have uh, much more basketball related events than we did in, in 2023. Um, we're going to have tailgates and watch parties and, and a few other things we've got coming down the pipeline. Tennessee's basketball team continuing to roll on as we roll into the month of January. The SEC season is starting up. Tailgate season for basketball is starting up. And then, of course, baseball season just right around the corner for Tony Vitello and company, which means trips to the porch uh, for you guys and a chance for ball club members to uh, interact with the Tennessee baseball team. We'll have coverage of all of that right here. Uh, at, with the Volunteer Club. But tonight's guest is very special to me. It's a deep dive on Tennessee head basketball coach Rick Barnes. Hello, coach. What's up, man? How are you? How are you doing? Good to see you. Doing well. Doing well. Coach, you've been here uh, several years now. What, what's, what's it mean to you to be the head basketball coach at Tennessee? You know, Austin, that's a – one is it's a blessing because you know when I came here when I left Texas you know I was there for 17 years and honestly thought that's where I would finish my career sure but it didn't end that way and I thank the good Lord for this opportunity and you know Dave Hart was the person that hired me at the time and uh being here you know what's really uh, I've told many many people growing up in Hickory North Carolina which is say less than three hours from Knoxville and my wife actually spent one year here and got her degree from University of Tennessee I had no idea how much the Vol Nation loves their athletic department. I had no idea. You know, when I think about it, uh, uh, being here and, and uh, a, a guy, when I first got here, a guy by the name of Kevin Feltner, who used to run the Tennessee Bobcats, told me the first time he met me, he said, you have no idea how big Tennessee basketball is and how much people here love Tennessee basketball. And, and I didn't when I got here. I had no idea what it was going to be like, but after being here and – you know, we had some tough getting it started, but when I got here, the one thing that Dave Hart said to me, he said, uh, we need to have a program and not a winning team. And, uh, you know, we've tried to do that, and I've been blessed to have, you know, great coaches that have come here with me. Some have come and gone and done. they're doing extremely well. Then uh, we've been able to attract the guys we got here right now, and I do believe we've got the best coaching staff in the country. And But uh, – it means that again that uh, I'm uh, I'm blessed to have this opportunity. I think it's an incredible place to live. I think uh, the support here from uh, top to bottom has been great since I've been here, and and I've loved uh, where we are. We want more. You know, we want more from a basketball program. We'd like to be the team that plays on Monday and wins it all, and that's that, that will be our goal every year. But I'm really proud of the players that have come through and helped us get it where it is and. You know, I've often talked about, you know, you you got to be one of the – every year you got to be one of those programs that everybody says, you know, they, they're going to have a chance. And uh, I hope that we are getting closer there. But then, I, like I said, I hope that we can play on Monday and get it done. How much has, I guess, the philosophy changed as, as, as Transfer Portal, NIL, all that stuff kind of enters into all of college athletics? How much do you have to kind of adapt and evolve kind of your line of thinking – um, when it comes to like how you handle recruiting versus transfer portal versus all that. Well, I think anytime you're in a, a, a leadership position at any, I don't care what you do, you've, you've got to be a learner. You've got to continue to learn and know that uh, there's something that you can learn every single day. And 
when you go back, you know, I'm getting close to 50 years in this business, and you think about how the the, game, the rules alone has changed. And back then, you know, you had to deal with rule changes. You know, every year there was something going on with recruiting, different calendars coming in here, there, whatever. But you're you're right. You, you've got to adapt. And where we are today, obviously the two most probably significant rules outside of the rules of the games that have changed through the years, you know, the line moving back, the clock getting shorter and all that has been the uh, one-time transfer portal yep. and the NIL. I mean, because you think about it, uh, uh, so and how do you adapt? I think that you almost have to look at things now where you, when you first, when I first got in it, everything was through a four-year window. You looked at it that way <laughs> and, you know, you knew that you were trying to build and have that stability and everything mattered, you know. Now, uh, I still think everything matters. You know, from, I mean, I still think, I believe that our job is to help young people get educated. I think our job is to help people grow and learn how to handle, you know, not just the good times, but the tough times. But with the one-time transfer, uh, it's hard to talk about commitment, loyalty, because, you know, everything's kind of what, what's happening today. What, what can I do today? And there's always been tampering in, in sports. Sure. Uh, that people can talk about it. It's, it's, and now with what it is today, you know, you've and you've had to learn how to deal with that in the past. But uh, is it more prevalent today? No question. Uh, now with the NIL, I've never been against uh, – I never understood why players couldn't work, make money while they are in school because I went to a – at the time it was an NAIA school. and <clears throat> Most of my guys weren't on scholarship and – I was a guy that had to work my way through school in terms of uh, not just I, I did get scholarship money. I got I got money from government based on my mom's financial situation. But for me to have anything else, pay for my car, you know, insurance, all that, I had to work. And uh, and back when the NCAA made it so difficult just to get somebody a job, it was ridiculous. And now, you know, again, I'm I'm all for name, image, and likeness. And if if people if guys can do that take care of their business that they're they're here to do um, I'm, I'm for all of it and the transfer portal uh, whether you like it or not but i could sit here and make a case in some ways it's easier because you know think about it i mean we spend sometimes two three years recruiting a guy yeah and then knowing that you might not get them and now you can put together a, 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 a team in 10 days. It's <laughs> uh, pretty crazy. So it is, when you think of I mean, you can look at it any way you want to look at it, but do I still believe in recruiting high school players in development? I do, uh, but I also know that you've got to be in adaptive, as you said, and at the end of the year, when you've, you've got a chance to f uh, fill your roster with wh whatever it is you think you need, you, you're, you're able to do that much easier. What has the Volunteer Club, Tennessee's Collective, meant to Tennessee basketball? Because you talk about you know being you know a big proponent of NIL, what what's it meant to your players? Well, uh, one, I know the players appreciate it. I do know this that a number of my players have as is is not only, and I haven't spent a lot of time talking to about it. Just I know I, I listen and I hear. I know a bunch of those guys have been able to help their families, whether it's uh, you know. Uh, helping him through tough times like you know Zakai I mean what what think about what he's gone through since he's been yeah. here, losing everything but then just being able to fly their parents to games you know where they can really see him play because the, you know this time flies by and I mean when I think of Josiah and the time we spent together and Santi I, mean, I was talking to them about it actually today I mean when those guys got here it was a it was a transition, and I don't know if you remember back then when you know Grant and all those guys had left, and all yeah. at once uh, Lamonte you know can't finish the, you know he has to uh, step away in December, and Santi comes in here with two days practice, and Josiah's <laughs> a freshman, and coming off a year where he had, had dealt with some injuries too. Th those guys would tell you, I think honestly. Uh, that was even though they were playing it wasn't a lot of fun because you know people's expectations and, and you know as much as our fans have expectations i can i can tell you austin they'll never be as high as ours because you know as much time as we put into it but when it's not going well they certainly have their opinions and you know the longer i've been in it it doesn't it doesn't bother me one bit but they're young and i know they're involved in that i know they read it and i know they're into it and and I think they would tell you it was, it's, it's tough on them when they're, they come in and people are expecting great things from them. And, and uh, believe me, they don't want to disappoint anybody. They don't. None of us do. And, uh, but the fact is, 
that's where it is today. And and what I what I, what concerns me with the NIL, the one thing is, I can you can go back and hear coaches, uh, football, basketball, baseball. You can hear them uh, after a game when writers, you know, and and I do think for the most part coaches try to protect their players, but when they get hit hard, direct questions about so-and-so is not playing well. You go back years ago, the one thing that every coach would say is, look, they're not getting paid. <laughs> yeah, They're not getting paid. They're students. Well, you, Now, people think because they're getting paid, they should be treated different. Yeah. But, uh, and I think that they are supposed to say, well, they're getting that kind of money. They should be able to take criticism, step out and all that. I still think they're, they're young kids, uh, young people, whether we want to, I mean, to me, they're kids, but Maybe they don't want to be called kids, but they're young people still finding their way, and it's our job to help them. and And uh, we're always going to try to protect our players to the utmost. and 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 with all this said, you talk about coaches have to adapt. Universities have to adapt sure. in terms of. And I think that our university has done a great job. I mean, they got early with it, and today you've got to if you're going to be in the ball game. The NIL is a big part of it, and if you and if you don't think that, you're kidding yourself. Let's go back to growing up in Hickory. Um, you kind of come from humble beginnings, you know, and a real American success story. Kind of just take us through kind of your early years and kind of you know what what I guess made you the way you are. Well, you know, Austin, I would tell you, uh, humble would be a, a good word, but you know, my son's a missionary and has been a missionary in the Middle East for a long time, and being able to travel to parts of the world where he lives. You know, I never worried about eating. You know, we always had something on the table. Sure. It might be, could be good old fried liver mush, but it was good. And, you know, we always had bread, potatoes, and all that. And I grew up, my father, you know, separated from my mom, divorced. I, I might have been five or six. I really don't remember it. I, I wish I would have had a chance to get to know my father more. Uh, I do know one night I was at home in Texas, and I just had an urge to find out more about my dad. And I called my uncle. and who uh, still living, he's in his 90s now, and I asked him, I said, Henry, tell me about my dad, and he made me cry. He said, your dad was a wonderful man and didn't really want to leave you guys, but it didn't work out. And my mom then worked as hard as she could and to make sure that we could, you know, had what we needed. You know, she was a proud mom and, you know, she loved us dearly and her mom and dad, who I actually call her mother, mom. I call my mother, mother, and I call my grandmother, mama, and I call my grandfather, daddy, and I call my birth uh, biological father daddy hall that was his name and but uh, you know growing up there uh it was really interesting i didn't know this and actually until my brother uh one of my brothers tommy uh had gotten arrested and my father grandfather uh who again who i called dad daddy said you got to go up to the police station with me and i didn't understand why until i got there and when the officer slid the paper through the window and said you need to write your name here sign this to bail him out my grandfather said, uh, I'm going to make my mark and my grandson will sign my name. And I'm looking at him like, what? I did not ever in my wildest imagination not realize that my grandfather and grandmother couldn't read or write. And I knew my grand, I knew my mom and father had quit school in the eighth grade uh, back then. And all we were told as a kid, you've got to graduate from high school and get a job. No one ever mentioned college. It was never a thought. I don't even think I really realized anything about it. And then uh, I love my childhood. I, I tell you what, I, I you know I grew up with uh, you know four three brothers and a sister, and my sister was the second, and my older brother Toby. I don't remember him ever not working, and I can remember he worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken. We ate Kentucky Fried Chicken until it, boy, I had a hard time eating it after <laughs> as later on because he had bring it home at night. We'd have it morning, noon, and night, and but uh, and then my sister got killed in a car accident uh, going into my. I fell the first grade, so I should have been going into the ninth grade, but I was going into the eighth grade, and it, and it really did rock my world and my little brother especially because when my mom was working a lot, she really took care of him, and I was out. You know, I don't remember ever not working. I had some kind of job as a kid, whether it's mowing grass, cleaning the floors at the 7-Eleven, working at Davis SO, working at the pool room, you know, just anything I could do, sweeping floors to make money. And uh, but uh, basketball, the the one difference in me and my brothers, I was the one, and I don't know how it all happened. Uh, I was the one that got into sports, and you know I, I really fell in love with baseball 
in the early 60s, certainly those early Yankee teams. You know, I loved them all. You know, I loved uh, those teams. And, you know, I was telling someone the other day, you know, this is the first time that I didn't watch the World Series in my life, and I can't even rem – I don't know why. And uh, I, I love baseball, but – I remember back when I was in grade school, they'd let you out of school on the day of the World Series. You know, they'd let you go home. And, I mean, the World Series baseball was that big to this country. And then, you know, I lived through the time when um, integration uh, came in. You know, we uh, – uh, I went to uh, – I was a seventh grader at College Park Junior High School the first year they integrated the schools. And then when I got to the high school, you know, really three and a half years later, it just still wasn't equal. The black students weren't allowed to – be they they you know how cheerleading and uh, and the student council and all that was a popularity contest. Sure. Well, they 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 didn't have the numbers, and so my uh, sophomore year uh, we had a we had some terrific teams, and, and once they integrated the two high schools there in Hickory, but the black students decided to walk out and boycott because it just and it wasn't fair, you know it it was it was never fair the way it was done and. But the walk out, it really cost some of my friends a chance to do something they love, and that was to play basketball. And we were an absolutely horrible team. We won one game. And I tell my team the story every year. We won one game that year. That's why when we get ready to play teams that everybody thinks that we should beat, all I know is I was on a team that won one game. We went 1-19, and, and we beat a team – that uh, went 24-1 uh, in back-to-back state championships. They, they, lost, they lost one game over a two-year period, and that was to a, game, a team that won one game. <laughs> and so, <laughs> What are the odds I, of know, that? And so you think about it. So I, don't, I go into everything knowing that if you don't play well, you can lose. Because I can't even tell you how we beat that team, but we beat them, South Mecklenburg, and they had Walter Davis – who just passed away about a month ago, and and uh, it's the same school that Bobby Jones had gone to the year before. And all I, all I know is we beat them by one or two points in Hickory at like 43, 42, or 44, 43, 45, 43. Three weeks later, we go to Charlotte and they beat us 80 to 40. But I've never, I've, I've always remembered that yeah. one game. Any I, any given night. On any given night, and I don't care what anybody says, but. But then I had a uh, – and I look back, I think God brought some people into my life at the time, Alan Beam and Bill Johnson and uh, Joe Ryan and Sam Davis, and who was uh, – Coach Davis was the first black teacher I ever had and was a great man. And, uh, man, he was tough. He, you talk about, talk about toughness and discipline. and I mean, he preached it, and you knew he meant it. And then Alice Watts, who was my ninth-grade algebra teacher, and then my high school – two coaches I had David Kraft for just a couple days and who was a tough guy and Mark Lawley who was my high school coach who really took me scouting with him when I was in the 10th grade because he I knew I wanted to at that point in time I mean athletics was it was everything to me and but I still hadn't thought about college and then finally yeah. one day Alice Watts said you know you could go to college and play basketball and I didn't know what that really meant but uh I was struggling with my sister's death and uh I'd gone to a family, I guess, a family counseling center, my little brother and I, and I'd met a guy. The guy there, was his name was Bill Monroe, and, and I was doing so bad in school. And I'd really made up my mind that as soon as I got to be uh, 16, I was going to quit because I just, one, I didn't particularly like school. I wasn't a great student, but I just couldn't understand it because it was the first real and, you know, I'd been to my grandfather's or great-grandparents' funeral and those things like that. But when my sister passed away, it was tough. And like I said, my brother, we he had a tough time with it. And But these people came into my life, and God put them there at the right time. And they got me through it. They really did and, and encouraged me to get into basketball. And then I had a gentleman that my mom uh, actually dated for a while, Ray Fisher, who sent me to Campbell College basketball camp. And I remember it cost $56 to go there back in probably 67 or 68. And and uh, he took me to a couple games. I got to see Pete Maravich play at the Charlotte Coliseum. And I fell in love with basketball. And, and, and the reason I stopped playing baseball, my eyes were so bad, and I didn't want to wear those big, thick glass bottle glasses. And so I just couldn't play at night. You know, as you look older, like Chris Sabo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the older you get, you know, you got to start playing at night. And I, yeah. I could play during the day. I couldn't play at night. But – just basketball, and, and then uh, again, I'm fortunate to uh, have a chance to. I went to Lenore, Ryan. I had a couple other places I could have gone, but uh, God's just blessed me with this incredible people. I don't believe there's any such thing as a self-made man. I don't. I think there's it's the 
the uh, people that you share life with and the people that God bring into your, that brings into your life that helps you get where you want to go. And I would tell you, I, I love my time growing up in Hickory. I, I, and sometimes um, I wish that kids today could grow up the way I did because, you know, we'd get on our bikes. We'd go anywhere. We weren't afraid of anything. And there, were no, there were no devices. No, yeah. I wish kids could see that today. And, and I, you know what? I'm really glad. I'm really glad I didn't have phones and all that because, you know, I love being out. I mean, you, I'm sure you did it. You know, baseball season, you played baseball, football, yeah. you go out in the backyard and play. You found somewhere to go play. Basketball, you went inside, and that was it. You know, there was, uh, you know, soccer when I was growing up was not even, you know, we, we played kickball, and I think they tried to introduce soccer. I don't know. If, I don't even know if any of the teachers knew how to teach it. Well, I mean, like, you look at, like, now, I mean, like, basketball is 365 days a year, right? And, like, I love that, I mean, like, you know, to me, like, spring is baseball, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, winter's basketball and yeah. fall's football. And, I mean, like, you know, I, I, that's kind of, you know, you grew up that way, I grew up that way. And then today, now, everybody just, like, wants to specialize. And yeah. I think it's, you know, I think it's fantastic when you can bring a guy in who was, you know, really, really good in multiple sports, right? I mean, like, th I that tells agreed. you you can – you can, you know, you're you're not so specific on one thing. You you can pick up and do anything at a high level. Well, you know, I agree with you, and I think that kids should play the, the different sports. Like, you know, there's a lot of parents today that are just dead set against football because of, you know, yeah. uh, and uh, I get that too, you know, but I also know that, uh, you know, everybody dreams that dream. Uh, I don't think people truly understand, like, how hard it is to – ever get to the NBA I mean it's so hard I mean you think about <laughs> yeah. it I mean there's you know I looked it up one time I think there's in the history of the NBA I think there's been 4,000 or right around there guys that have worn the uniform one game and then if you go to two games it's less than just a little bit over 2,000 in the history yeah in the history of the game and uh uh but but do doing what we do I mean, I want them to chase that dream. I think it's important to chase those dreams. And I think there's a different path for everybody. Uh, I think one of the worst things you can do is ever not tell a young person that they can do it because who knows? I mean, I've had guys that, that I've coached that you would not think that they could make it to the NBA, and they made it and uh, because of their determination. And I, I can tell you, we've coached a bunch of guys that you thought could, should, but they didn't because uh, they lose the – they lose their focus on you know what's really important that one thing that's going to get you there and it's really it's a love it's a love affair for the game it's just that you love it you want to be a part of it people ask me all the time about Kevin Durant I've never coached a guy well I have TJ Ford and he Lamar the guys that made it their their safe place their happy place is in the gym yeah that's where they want to be I mean they can, they really truly can't get enough of it they can't get enough of it and after practice they want more. They want more before practice. Uh, you, they lose a game. They just can't go home because if they didn't play well, I got to go up. To, I got to go upstairs and fix my shot. I got to go upstairs and do this. Or coach, will you watch? I, you got to show me the tape. What, what did I do wrong? Those guys are far and few between. That's why there's not that many of them that can play that long. You talk about your faith. You were a fiery coach early on, and I don't think you're. I mean, I think you still have moments, right? But I mean, like we all, like all coaches do. But I. I think you're a little more mellow now than maybe years ago. And, you know, faith, I think, has a little bit to do with that. I think you're just kind of more of a chill character now than you were, you know, 40 years ago when you kind of entered into this. You know, was there a point, though, like where, like, you know, you kind of – your demeanor changed? Well, my demeanor – I don't – I think, honestly, I think I'm probably as fiery or all that the same. I do. I've always been a uh, – I mean, I want to be consistent. I think that – if you're in a position of leadership, you got to be the most consistent person in the building. And, you know, I grew up, again, in Hickory, uh, always went to church, uh, grew up uh, going to a Baptist church. My mom was uh, one of the charter members of East Hickory Baptist Church in Hickory, and that's where, you know, she, she, her mom and dad went, and our family went. And uh, my grandparents, if my mom couldn't get us there. We were in church on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday. You had uh, RAs, you know, you were there. And, and the one thing that I will give great credit to my mother, they taught us not to use any type of profanity, any kind of uh, derogatory uh, comments like, like the N-word. My grandfather, I didn't realize this until the night I got married, his entire life he worked with black people. And that was where his comfort zone was. And I didn't, he, I, he always came, he always had, you know, just 
common, menial jobs, but he worked every day of his life, uh, never complained about anything. But we were taught to respect everybody. I don't care who it was, whatever it may be. And back when I was growing up, there was no ethnic diversions, I mean divisions. It was black and white. Everything was black and white. I remember seeing uh, downtown Hickory where there was a cooler that said, uh, you know, colored only, white only, all that. I, I grew up and I saw that and I never understood it because in our house, it was, I mean, and we lived right on the verge of what in Hickory at the time they called colored town. Sure. And I realized that's where my grandfather worked. And that, and I and I and I thank God for that because he, my grandfather again, no profanity, no, I mean none, I mean nothing, anything like that. So when I got into coaching, uh, I didn't I didn't curse. And when I became a head coach, I had a, 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 the worst advice I ever took. Uh, I had one of my assistant coaches, uh, and he was a, a, a black coach. He said to me, uh, Coach, if you don't start using profanity, you're going to lose these guys. And you know what I did and I'm ashamed of it to this day and I went through a period of uh and again I don't think it I coached any different but it was the way I what I spoke about how I spoke and it was uh, looking back it was demeaning because the one thing I've always promised parents is I'd treat their 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 sons the way I want my son treated I wouldn't looking back and it was a huge huge mistake uh talking you know I wouldn't want my son talked to like that you know and uh so that went on, and uh, after my first, uh, first halfway through my first year at George Mason, the, the entire time I was at at uh, Providence, the entire time I was at Clemson, and then probably for about three, maybe four years or so at Texas, I can't remember exactly how many. And I had a signed a really good class with the class that came in with Kevin Durant, uh, signed a young man by the name of Damian James from Nacogdoches, Texas, and. Damien's one of the sweetest kids you could ever meet, you know, and uh, he was ranked like the 18th best player in the country and uh, thought he was going to be one and done, but obviously that he wasn't. But the next year he came back and he was really struggling. I mean, really, it might have been his third year, uh, but he was struggling and uh, we needed him to play big every night, consistency. And, and at that time, I think that I was at a uh, – looking back, I don't think I was a very good coach, to be honest with you. I think I knew basketball, and I think I, I could teach basketball, but I don't think I was a good coach sure. in terms of putting it all together with the players and getting the most out of them. Because I think the worst thing they can do is play out of fear. And uh, we're getting ready to play Oklahoma one night, and Damian was really struggling. And, and I loved the kid. I really loved him, but he, he couldn't have felt it looking back on it. The way I – coached him he there's no way he could have felt what I really felt for him and uh we get ready to play Oklahoma and up in Norman and I told the coaches I wanted him to leave uh, they had a little locker room for the coaches and uh, I said I want to talk to Damien and, and I brought him in I said Damien look I want you to help me figure out how I can help help you tell me what I can do to help you how can I coach you better what can I do and he looked at me, and I'll never forget, he put his head down and he shook his head, and he looked at me, and with his eyes were moist, and he said, Coach, I owe you an apology. And I said, what do you mean? I don't, I'm not asking you for an apology for anything. He said, I said, I just want you to answer that question for me. He said, no, I feel like I've let you down. I know you have, you've had high expectations for me, and our program's got high expectations. I don't think I'll, I've lived up to what I should be, and, and if I did, I think we'd be doing better. And, I said, Damo, I appreciate that, but I need to know what I can do to help you right now. I want to, I want to be a better coach, coaching you. And he put his head down and he shook his head and he didn't look at me. He said, Coach, it would help me a lot if uh, you didn't curse. He said, you know, I grew up with all women in my life. I've never had a male dominant figure in my life. You're the most male dominant figure I ever have. And when I think you're mad at me, it scares me. Because he said, I don't want to disappoint you. And I said to him, I said, Damien, I apologize to him. And I said, you have my word. I will never curse you or anybody else again. And I haven't since that day. I've never since that. So that's where, again, God uses young people. You know, and, and again, I got caught up in it where, you know, I thought everything was about me. And my daughter and son sent me down one day and said, Dad, you know, you're, you're going about this all the wrong way. And. I was again. You know what? I really was started living worldly, and got away from uh, the 
spiritual side of where I am and the God that I believe in. And uh, and so, you know, I was still there another, what, 10 years. But uh, And I went back and apologized to a lot of players over the years, those that I felt like – you know, and you, you don't forget it. You know, you know, and I, you don't. And and I went back and I've met with a bunch of them, talked to them about it, and I'm thankful that God, uh, you know, they they said, hey, coach, we understand it, we get it, we're all, you know, and I was young, there was no doubt at the time, and probably scared that I wasn't going to make it in the business and but pressure. That, yeah, I mean, yeah, pressure. You feel pressure. Yeah, it's it's natural. It's, it's, it's a a different kind of pressure. Yeah, but but you can't take it out on other people. You know, you can't you can't do that in anything in life. And and probably that's no, there's probably not. That's that's what was going on. But I'm thankful that I I play. I have coached so many. I don't like to say I. We have coached so many wonderful people, uh, guys that have truly affected my life more than they know. I've had just tremendous assistant coaches with me and. Uh, Worked for some just great athletic directors and uh, made mistakes, yes. But I can assure you, I won't make that one again because I want our players every day to know how much I love them. And I'm, but to go back to what you asked me about being feisty, I think uh, every guy that every player that I've ever coached, when they come back, they have said to me, and I could go back 25 years ago, you're not as hard as you used to be. I would disagree. You know, because they went through it, and now that they look back on it, I've had a bunch of those guys say, boy, Coach, I wasn't very tough back then. And when they're going through it, they probably think it's harder than it – and I think these guys do. They think it's harder than it is. But to get them where they want to go, it's hard, Austin. It is hard to get them because when they get – when they leave here, they're trying to go to a league and they're trying to take somebody's food off their table. And uh, it's, it's a different ball game. Well, the first uh, episode of Ball Club Confidential we ever had, we had Josiah out and Cedric Tillman, and, and Josiah openly talked about it. his first year or so. He hated you. Yeah. Like just like, and then and all of a sudden it just started to click. Like how much he knew you you were pushing him for the right reasons, right? And now he's like, now I love him. Like it's like you know he goes he goes. And how much do you have to kind of cross that barrier as a coach with, with every kid that you coach because getting them to understand, like, it's kind of like Coach Garner on the football team. Like, those defensive linemen, I think they're like, probably when they first start out, they're like, well, what is going on? And then later they're like, I'd run through a brick wall for that guy. Well, you know, I think it goes back to recruiting. I think that I've had a couple bad teams, and I'll tell you where it went bad was through the process of recruiting them because I, I can tell you the one thing that I have always done in terms of talking basketball with recruits, I've always said – and. I think transparency is the most important thing. I've always said, if you want to know what it's like, come to watch practice because I am not going to change. The way you see me in practice, I'm not going to put on a show when you're here where I'm being a nice guy. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be as real as I can be, and I want you to talk to the players, talk to you know, talk to Josiah, talk to those guys, because since I've been here, Josiah James has probably recruited more players for us than anybody. <laughs> yeah, you know? but. But the funny thing about it is, I can tell you this, Don't Connect point blank told me I'm coming here because I want you to coach me hard. Hard. Yeah, he said this when yeah, we had him out a few weeks it. ago. Yeah. And I, and I said to him, I said, you have no idea what you're saying. He said, <laughs> he said I, I, I do. And I said, no, you don't. I said, because you – and today before I left, because, you know, he had a tough night the other night. And I've been telling him for three months. I said, you have no idea what's coming your way. And if I don't start getting at you, making you uncomfortable, making you understand this, you, you're going to really get hit in a way you can't imagine. But here's what I know now. He knows I've told him the truth. And he even said – and I said, and you know what, Dalton? It's just getting started. It's just getting started. The way people are going to play you, the way they're going to do it. But as much as you try to tell them – and, again, it goes back to like Josiah saying, boy, it's tough early. They, they think they got it they think and they because they don't know what they're getting into they don't know what's coming and now like they do and and i do think over time they realize that everything we do is really to help them i, I don't i don't think we've ever tried to well, i know we haven't to do one thing to not get a guy to be the best he can be you go back to that nc state game in december and that that second half you know because he'd been on the floor he had legend scoring like 87 percent of the games right up to that point and He's not out there. And I, I kept watching him on the bench, and I'm like, this guy's kind of getting a little taste right here. This is a moment for him. Like, this is – because, I mean, everything had come so easy. You know, he scores 37 in Chapel Hill, even in a loss. I mean, like, it, it was – everything offensively was just clicking, boom, right? And all of a sudden, he had an off night, 
but he had you know had his brothers step up and 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 take care and get that win for it. It's just not you know sometimes offense is there, sometimes the defense is there. You win different ways. I thought that was a real moment for him because I think to be where you want to be in two months' time, he needed to. I won't say be humble because I don't think that's the right word, but like he needed a little bit of adversity at this level in this league, you know, at you know versus you know being at Northern Colorado. No knock against that. I, well, I totally agree. I totally agree because I told it was coming, and I, I actually started seeing it a little bit at the end of the Illinois game because they really made an effort to you know when they were down trying to we were going to play through them and going after them and and uh, seeing the length, yeah, equal length getting at him. And and there's but it, like I said to him, uh, you've never had it like this. You've never had play it. I mean, this there's a difference in this level. And it's where you every are. night. And you're in a level where there's this levels. This league is known for high level athletes. Yeah. Uh, and now a league that's got really good basketball players in it. But I told him I said uh, it's just getting started. And so the other night I will tell you this: when I took him out the last time, I knew he wasn't going to play anymore because now I started thinking one we got to win this game, and could he help us? I started thinking more in terms of him. If I let him go back out there in the shape he's in right now, he might not ever recover because, I mean, he had a tough time. He had a really tough time. So now I'm, I'm not going to let him dig himself any deeper mentally than he, than he is right now because he was you – could, you could just – we're around these guys so much, and we, we know them. We know their body language. We know what, what they are. But you hit it. He – and, again, he's a very humble kid. But – He's never had that, and uh, and he was trying too hard, and you just knew if you put him back in the game, at that point in time, there's no way he could keep himself from looking for trouble, and at that point in time, like you said, the older guys picked him up, and they were they're great with him. I mean, they they know we need what he brings us. Hundred percent. But uh, it, it is, it's, and, and what you said is absolutely he needed it now, and he and again, it's going to happen again. They're going they're going to keep coming. Well, for this team, I mean, in a lot of ways, he's Batman, right? Mm-hmm. Batman needs Robin sometimes, yeah. you know, and and or you know, you know, or Batgirl or whoever you want to keep yeah. going down the superhero path, um, you know, to help out. And and you know, you, you've got a team that's got some veterans that like you know, Josiah can step up, Santa can step up, you know, you can go right down the list. And then of course Z, finally getting himself, yeah. you know, kind of finding footing there. Mm-hmm. You know, when did you know? Was it was it that NC State game? That I mean, I, I know he proclaimed himself back after that game, but I mean, was, were there inklings in practice where you're like, he is pretty close to being back? Back. It, it, you're you're right. I mean, uh, but they, you you still have to play. You know what I'm saying? You you still got to go do it in the game. Sure. I mean, in practice, he's always been Z and does what he does. But it's different when when the lights come on. Uh, regardless, it's different and. Uh, I think that, I thought the hustle play against Illinois, where he double big, on the ball well, in addition to Josiah. That was a big play, and and do I think he's totally back 100% physically? I don't, I don't. I think he's close. I think he's real close, but do I think he's back mentally? That play that you talked about, I think put him back where he need. And and you know what, he did start finding his finding his way in the second half of the North Carolina game. He played much better in the second half. He settled in and started distributing the ball, and then. We talk about it with our team. Every every game takes on a different personality, and like the other night, NC State, they you can tell by their game plan, they were doing everything they could to make him do all the work. They wanted him to probably get 30, not set those other guys up, and I thought he did a great job of what he was trying to do there. But where I thought he can change, where he controlled the game was the defensive plays. You know, he took the ball away from what two or three times yeah, on did. the back end, and that's that's the Kaiser. What he does, the fly in the ointment. That's what he does, and when he's doing that down there, it's, it creates havoc. All right, let's do some rapid fire here. We'll start with the old uh, the old steady here on this show, Jordan or LeBron. I'm a I'm a Jordan guy because of uh, the era he played, and uh, I know what he did through that era when the game was so different, so physical, and so could he be what he is today? What what the game is today? He'd be Michael plus with the way they let he would buddy oh yeah it's, it's, he'd average again, 50 he'd, or about yeah, at 45 maybe, yeah, because it's just a different game today favorite place you've been in this world wow uh that's a tough one uh i, I what i'd have to say is it, it, it favorite places are who you're with and my favorite places would always be with wherever my family is best family vacation then 
Uh, well, what comes to mind? What's the first memory? Boom. Uh, our going to the beach, you know, in South Carolina. You know, we we've done that for a long time as kids, as, as a family growing up, and now with the grandkids, it's again, it's just making more of those memories. What's one place in the world you've not been you'd like to go? It's funny you say that. I was talking to Bob McKillop today, and you know, Bob's really my truly one of my all-time best friends, great friends. I mean, he's had an impact on me more than anyone could ever realize. And uh, he was telling me he's getting ready to go January the 6th to New Zealand no, no. and uh, to do a clinic, and he's been there before. And and ever since Coach Knight, when I was at uh, – I asked Coach Knight that question that you just asked me, and uh, he says to me, someday you've got to go to New Zealand during the month of January, which obviously I'd have to not be coaching to do that. And yeah. He told me, he said, when I quit coaching – I'm going to spend every month in New Zealand fishing. Well, not that I'm a fisherman, but I've met people from New Zealand, recruited some people from New Zealand, never been there, but recruited people that live there, and they all just tell me it's a fabulous place. But there's so many places I would love. I've been fortunate to be at a wonderful lot of the, like Israel and those kind of places that being able to know some of the things that you study and read about in the Bible. But uh Again, I, I think I could be anywhere as long as my, my family was with me. I'm going to give you six here because I'm going to let you do a six-man. Give me the, the the Rick Barnes all-time starting five plus a sixth man. I don't know if you have where you get these questions from, but it's funny. We were talking about this two weeks ago with uh, Jay Billis and Bill Raftery. And uh, my, my what I came up with, I had uh, Oscar Robertson. I had uh, Larry Bird. I had Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, and uh, Magic, and my sixth man was Kareem. And uh, and the reason being, you know, Jordan could play any position. Oscar Robertson, they said, would have would still hold the triple double record if they kept stats back then the way they did. Bird, you know, and here's what I would say about all those guys, regardless of what anybody said, they could play today. Yeah, the, all those guys would be a factor today playing and uh and obviously that's that's a year that i you know i grew up watching all those guys and and, and there's some great players today don't get me wrong but uh i'm amazed too is how the game has changed but i just know those guys were iconic and they could go today against anybody what about guys you've coached give me your starting five well obviously uh tj ford would have to be the starting point guard yep. even though dj augustine's pretty darn good and uh uh, Kevin Durant, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, those guys are pretty good. And uh, uh, I'd put KD anywhere, you know, yeah. anywhere. And then I'm trying – but, but you know, when I think of teams, like I think of obviously the best team I've ever coached was a, a Final Four team. It had a guy named Roy Ivey and Brandon Mouton, two guys that weren't highly recruited. But good players. And Productive. You know, and both – and Roy Al was a guy – he was one of those guys – when we recruited him, we had a player by the name of Maurice Evans who declared for the NBA without us even knowing it was coming. We were blindsided by it. And Rob Lanier said there's a kid up in New York that Coach, he, I'll never forget Rob said, Coach, this guy could end up being an NBA player or he could be an absolute dud. And so we go up and meet his uh, parents. And I'll never forget his dad who said to me, Rod said, uh, Coach, I don't know much about basketball. He said, why would you want my son at the University of Texas? And he's not – the only place he could go is like Boston University and either Marist or Wright or one of those schools. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't seen your son play. Here's what Rob, Rob Lanier's told me. And uh, I need somebody to just come in and help us get practice and get better. He said, well, my son can do that. And he's the first guy I ever heard. He said, my son understands what it's like to be the fifth option. He's always been the fifth option. And so Roy came. And when he left, he's now the assistant coach with the, and he'll be he'll be an NBA head coach soon. But Roy left as the all-time winningest player at Texas and played nine years in the NBA. I think on all on the last couple four or five years on one-year contracts. And uh, guys like that, you I've won a lot of games with guys like that, obviously. But you know, TJ and Kevin were National Player of the Year. TJ taught me a lot. Kevin taught me a lot. LaMarcus, I'm obviously extremely proud of where he was and how hard he worked. Uh, you know, I'd have to go down the line with it, to be honest with you. I, but it's just uh, P.J. Tucker, you know, is a guy you could put out there because, you know, he's a, a defender. Defender, can do it all. Player, player of the year in the league. You know, he was a Big 12 player of the year. 
Uh, played a long time in the NBA, yeah, too. Well, you know, he texted me a month, two months ago and said, Coach, I've tricked these guys into giving me another two years. And he said, I'll be 41. <laughs> so, it's amazing. We're, uh, look, look, look at Udonis Haslam. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he hung around with, with the Heat for up until this yeah. past year. I mean, you and, know. And you think about P.J. and you think about Grant Williams, both of them out of North Carolina. Both of them were player of the years. And Grant here, obviously, what, twice? Yeah. P.J. left early as Grant. But neither one of those guys were highly recruited. And both of them were out of shape. But, again, it goes back to compliment my staff. They, they saw them. And the one thing they did, both of those guys, they won. They seem like they always won. But, uh, again, I, we've, we've been blessed to coach so many guys in over, you know, what, 38 years or whatever. I mean, I can go back and think about my first team, how much I love those guys. And my first year at Providence, we had a kid named Eric Murdoch who led the uh, – Big East in scoring that year and just through the, through the time. And, and a lot of pros, Dickie Simpkins won us a Big East championship with his versatility and what he does. Uh, Austin Crozier, I mean, think about it. Our last four of our last five recruits at Providence, we signed uh, Jason Williams, who went to, ended up at Florida. Yeah. Uh, signed Jason, but uh, he was a prop. And I left and uh, went to Clemson. He was fantastic in they, the NBA, yeah, by the way. They, didn't, they, they, didn't, they wouldn't let him out of his, his – uh, national letter so he left and we put him at prep school and he couldn't handle fork unit academy and then he went uh he went to uh marshall set out with billy donovan and followed billy there we had in that class that class too was uh eric williams who was what the 12th nba lottery he was an nba lottery guy austin crochier pacers yeah austin was on that group greg buckner who's an associate head coach for the cavaliers now greg, greg was came with us now they let him come with us to, uh, and he was a clemson's first ever acc rookie of the year but what people don't realize that people don't know the guy that we signed in that class and uh at the time we had 15 scholarship players and uh this, this is a this would have changed my trajectory i think we signed this young man committed to us and i go to the athletic director when we first could go get the national letter signed in November. And uh, we had 15 guys, and we signed. Uh, we, we, we knew we were going to oversign because we knew two guys were definitely going to leave. We, and one of them is Ira Bowman, who's an assistant coach with, with Bruce Pearl at, uh, at, at Auburn. And he went back and had a great career at University of Pennsylvania. And Ira's a sharp, great, great person, going to be a great coach too. He is a great coach, going to be a great head coach one day. And we had another player – Badalosa, who we knew was going to transfer back home to New Hampshire. And so we offered this guy a scholarship. He committed to us. And I go in to get the national letter. And John Marinato, who's as a wonderful person, uh, my, my second AD, and John went on to become the commissioner of the Big East and passed away a couple uh, year ago. And uh, he said that our people on campus won't let us give a scholarship that we don't have. I said, well, John, we're going to have not just that one, but one more at the end of the year we're planning on signing. He said, well, they won't let us sign him. And I said, well, that's not good because this guy's a guy we really, really want. And that's when I knew I had to leave Providence. And the guy that they wouldn't let us sign was Tim Duncan. <laughs> I mean, he, you ask Tim Duncan today, he would tell you he committed to Providence College and not recruited either, non-recruited basketball player. All those guys were not highly recruited guys. And they all, well, you know what Duncan did. Eric Williams, long time in the NBA. Jason Williams, Greg Buckner, all those guys. And, again, it goes back to great coaching staff, and they got them. Oh, and if there were Providence message boards back then, they would be going bananas over the fact that you couldn't bring in Tim Duncan after the fact. Well, I tried. But I also knew then and there it was time to move, and uh, I did. Last thing, and then we'll get you out the door here. Even since you've been here, you've had I think it's like four, like maybe five assistants going to be head coaches. Um, is that kind of? I mean, I know players is kind of where your impact is, but is that part of the legacy? Is being able to, you know, eyeball a guy, bring him on staff, knowing hey, this is a guy with a couple of years will be a head coach, and then kind of watching that guy blossom. Well, I think when you put together your staff, uh, I think the most important thing to me has always been when I sit down and talk to someone and I've always kept a real short list of guys that I when I'm on the road my the coaches would probably tell you they don't think I'm paying attention a lot watching games 
but I can assure you this, I'm paying more attention than you think, but I'm watching other things too. I, I like to kind of multitask and I'm watching other coaches and get to know them and I always ask them questions on the road. And the one thing that personally that I've always said is that uh, one, I'm going to rely on my assistants because I have that much confidence in them sure. what they say. But with that said, they would tell you, I've told them, we're not going to hire somebody that all they can do is recruit. they got to be a basketball coach. They've got to want to be a head coach because for that to happen, it was uh, – I had a great experience back in 1980. I was hired at George Mason. That was I was the first full-time assistant coach hired there. And Joe Harrington was the first full-time head coach. And Joe had worked with Lefty for 16, 17 years. And when Joe started talking to him about coming to George Mason, it was the fastest-growing university in the country. It had 18,000 students. 500 lived on campus. He said, this will be the greatest experience you'll ever have in coaching if you stay in it. He said, you're going to see not only a university being built from the ground floor up, but you're going to watch an athletic department be built. And we had a great president. Dr. John, George Johnson was a great president. And when I met him for the first time, he obviously said basketball is going to be the flagship of the program. And uh, so I got to watch Joe do that, and he allowed me to be a part of everything, every part of the program. He said to me, you're going to have to make your name as a recruiter but along the way, you, if you want to be a head coach, you better be involved with every aspect of this program, scheduling. And back then, he and I were the – and we had some part-time people not making very much money. So I was in charge of travel, scouting, uh, weight, weightlifting, all that, you know. And so with that said, I always said I want my assistants to have a chance to be a part of it. I didn't do a great job early. But I, I had as, as much, and I think, again, I felt like I had to probably do it all to prove myself, whatever. But as time went on, I've learned that uh, you got to let people work. I'm not a, I'm not a big meeting person because if I'm going to meet all the time, I might as well hire a bunch of young people and tell them exactly how I want it. Sure. I, I don't think that brings creativity into the program. But it goes back to hiring. I mean, uh, I could I could all – like I got a staff full of guys right now that – they're all ready to be head coaches. I mean, I mean, all of them from the first one. And if you want to, I mean, you know, the NCAA says you got two full time and, a, you know, three full time coaches and everybody else. But through the years, the guys that I've had that, like when Rob left, you know, he took some guy. Mike Mike Swartz left. He took Riley Davis, who was where. I mean, Riley Davis is at East Carolina. He's ready to be a head coach. You know, all those guys. And Rob, would, I think, would tell you that about the guys that, that he's had go with him and. Kim English, the guys he's got. Dennis Felton, who was one of my assistants, who recruited Tim Duncan. He, he's the guy that got Tim Duncan, and he's on Kim English's staff back at Providence. And uh, Dennis has been a head coach a couple different times. So it goes back to the recruit, the hiring process, knowing that you're going to get people that, honestly, you got to go into the – with the attitude, i got to get somebody better than me. Because the better they are, the better they're going to make me. And uh, they challenge you. They, they work. And you listen to them, and but yet, you know, obviously, I've got to make whatever final decision needs to be made. But I want people that I think are better than me, and I think I've done a good job of hiring people that I think are better than me. The life and times of Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes, and we didn't even get into like his favorite place to get a hot dog. I mean, like, you know, these are all big time things. Anyone, any, anywhere they've got mustard and coleslaw would be good with me. Mustard and coleslaw for the head coach. Coach, we appreciate the time and. Uh, Good luck the rest of the way, okay? Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Okay.